Wonderful. See us when you come up, please. So we have the, the great privilege this morning welcoming See us from Shofar. Um, and you don't look any older. Like I, I was at Shofar with my brother about 23 years ago. Um, I actually gave my life to Christ in a, a meeting at Shofar, um, my brother France. And um, yeah, so you look, look the same. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they're feeding you guys there. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, just can I pray for you before you share with us? Father, thank you for the gift of the body. Thank you for brothers. Thank you for the encouragement that we can receive. And we thank you for this word this morning that you bring you through see us. We pray that we would all receive it with open hearts, God, and receive what you're wanting to do in us and through us today, Lord God. We thank you for the strengthening and encouragement that comes through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Sias. Hallelujah. Thank you, everyone. It's great to be here um, and uh, seeing so, so many familiar faces. And uh, I just I want to say I really love your pastor, Paul. You know, he's uh, got a very competitive spirit, especially on the golf course. And uh, we've become good friends. And um, I just, I just want to say this. This is a great church. Uh, people that love God. I, I don't think I've ever met somebody from this church that doesn't love the Lord and whose foundational uh, Christianity is in place. So if you're visiting here, stay here, slot in, be part of the community. And uh, it's just amazing what God is doing also in Stellenbosch. For many years, we, a lot of churches, we were very animostic, or what's the right word, just, just an, an intense against each other in competition. But God is really doing something great with a lot of the leaders, just pulling our hearts together and realizing like, wow, we, um, we want to reach. There was a, a suicide in one of the residences, and uh, this younger generation, it's just crazy um, on how desperate this next generation is. And, and we as the church, and Jesus is the answer. Amen. And so I really want to encourage you. Oh, that was a very good amen at this time of the morning, but hallelujah. Um, but I want to I wanna, um, challenge us a bit this morning, or just motivate us, you know, sometimes... So I'm not going to focus on, on teaching, but rather just motivating us to live missional lifestyles, okay? Everyone here, if you are a Christian, I want to open up with this statement, is you are a missionary. And, uh, and it is so important to know that you are here on a mission, and I'm here on a mission. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was studying here in Stellenbosch, and I said to the Lord, Lord, I want to go, I'll go anywhere except stay in Stellenbosch. You know, because I didn't like the pride, I didn't like the division. When I studied here, it was like really, you know, apartheid and a lot of stuff. And there was a lot of form of religion, but there wasn't really, Christ wasn't evident in people's lives. And, um, and that's been a couple of years ago, more than 30 years ago. And so the Lord said, no, you'll stay a missionary in Stellenbosch, you know. <clears throat> so if you've been living here, I want to encourage you. Uh, when you walk on campus, when you go and be the doctor or the farmer, you on a mission for Christ. And uh, so I um, want to show you some pictures and uh, two videos. We've just, I uh, can't believe a week ago we were up in the mountains. Uh, maybe, have you got those, uh, the picture there? Um, there? There on the left-hand side, you can see one of the unreached villages we went to. There's zero Christians. They've never heard the gospel. And with a bunch of guys, we went down and up. And this is about, I think, almost 4,000 meters above sea level. So you literally can't breathe. Uh, but there were five villages that we visited and just went up and just went to pray. And so maybe if you can show those two little clips, there was one moment where I was really told the guys to focus. So this is... Uh,
behind. Don't look at us. Look at the path where you're going. Yeah, just focus where you're coming. <laughs> Don't look at us. Use both your hands when you come down. It's slippery. Right. Great, guys. Hold on, Kriya. What do you want to say, Kriya, to the team here? It's so nice. It's so nice. It's so nice. I want to say it twice. Come slowly. You can make it, guys. Great, this great. is where we walk. It's, it's, it's good to sit down. Just imagine your Jesus have made this. Don't <laughs> breathe properly. And we said, be quiet, don't say a word. <clears throat> look in front of you, don't look to the view because literally there was sometimes a kilometer down as we, as we walk. But maybe just one, one other little clip of where we. So that's uh, praying for six or seven hours. We'll normally go on top of the villages and just pray. So this was just a prayer, uh, prayer mission. We'll pray for the first two years. The, th the third year, send in doctors and um, uh, just dentists. And then the fourth year, only start to, to minister the gospel. Because there are, there's a lot of people that don't know the Lord. And they've never heard of, of Jesus. So... <clears throat> Just a couple of questions this morning. Why should we go? Well, we all know Matthew 28. Uh, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And uh, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Isn't that the most important words that Jesus said? And if you didn't get that one, go read in Mark chapter 16 or Luke at the end. I think if you uh, want to know what was important you know, to somebody, you always ask on their deathbed, what, 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 is, what are those things? They're not going to say, I wanted to drive a better car when I was 30 years old, or I wanted to be a better this. They're going to tell you things that are important. And so Jesus, before he goes back, he gives us the great commission. There's a great commandment and there's a great commission. The great commandment is to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our, so with all of our souls, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But the great commission is that call on our lives to go. And it's not to play church. It's not to, to do a lot of things. It's not to be event Christians, but actually to be the church. Uh, and so tomorrow morning when you walk out of your front room or door or dormitory, uh, you are on a mission. You, you're, you have got a commission from Jesus himself. And so he says, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. So monkey see, monkey do. Monkey say, monkey say again. You know? uh, it's, God wants us uh, to live in this space where we say, like, I'm not just going to heaven. Uh, I want I want to uh, say yes to the call of God on our lives. And so, obviously, when you're in some of these areas, uh, the spiritual realm is a reality. You know, so one of the things or testimonies uh, was uh, we went and so we were going up into the mountains. We have a base there with a missions hospital. And then from there, we start to work. And, uh, <clears throat> and so the Lord uh, told the leader, one of the leaders on the team uh, said, we must stay one day longer and pray. 
And so I was a bit frustrated and I said like, no, Lord, we, we only have five days and it's like you really have to travel up into the mountains and hiking, you know, is, isn't so easy. Um, you could, the one who breathed so much, it was me, you know, they're like, <gasps> you know, because you, <clears throat> you know, um, it's really, some of the stuff is difficult, but it, um, so I said, okay, let's pray about it. And then the Lord said, stay one day longer in your base. And so we prayed for eight hours um, in, in that day. And so the next day we went through the mountains and started to drive up just to give you an idea. When we drive up, it's almost 170 kilometers and it takes you about nine hours. Um, so it's not, it's not your average drive, but at a stage 4 PM, we got to a, a place and, uh, as we stopped, we saw that so much of the bridge and everything was washed away. Uh, and the guy there said to us, if you came yesterday at this time, you would have been dead. Exactly the same time, there was a flash flood and the whole of the mountain basically collapsed. And we realized if we were not obedient to God, we would, I would not have been standing here today. And isn't that amazing how the Holy Spirit works and God speaks to us and even gives us details? And so uh, just a bit of background on where is the world? You know, the majority of people... Uh, in the religions today, we'll, we'll see there's a lot of Christians, Islam and Hindu. One of the fastest growing faith is Islam, especially in Africa, uh, because of multiplication. Um, and then if you go to the next slide, just to, to challenge us a bit, that the countries with the most unreached people groups are in those five countries. And, uh, and so especially uh, there are so many people that's never heard of Jesus. And should we not live for an opportunity for them to hear about the one we love the most? And so even if you just start praying, I remember the first time when I went to India, I almost died. And uh, it was the first and only place that I heard God's audible voice. Uh, I actually crawled to the toilet and um, because it took me four hours to get there. It was like a five meters and then... And the Lord said to me audibly, he said, you shall live and not die. Three times. After the third time I stood up, I was healed instantly. Every, the fever gone, everything. God healed me instantly. And about two weeks later, I came back here to Stellenbosch, and there's an old praying intercession lady, intercessor, Auntie Helen Africa. She walked up to me after church, and she said to me, Pastor, can I tell you, the other day, about two weeks ago, I was praying for you because the Lord told me I must stop everything. My, my grandkids, I normally look after them, but they must, I made another plan for them. Uh, I, wanted, uh, I prayed for you from 9 o'clock till 12 o'clock. But the funny thing was, I could only pray this one phrase for you. You shall live and not die. So I gave Tanya Helen a hug, I just like, <laughs> every time I saw her, Lord, I thank you for intercessors. I thank you for people that pray. Yeah, and um, and so, so don't forget that we pray, that we send, that we love. And, and the question is, how must we go? You know, so if we want to be an apostolic and a missionary people, we, uh, what is the word apostolic means? To be a delegate, to be an ambassador for the gospel, one who has been sent, one is a commissioner of Christ, a co-laborer with Christ, the sent ones. So even apostolic is just means a visionary. I know in Africa and a lot of places through the prosperity gospel, there's a lot of people that just wants, everyone wants to be bishop, reverend, apostle of the most holy faith with 50 different titles, you know. 
But the crazy part is we are apostolic. We are the sent ones. And uh, the invitation for you, not, I'm not just talking about going to the mountains. I'm talking about in your life, in your lifestyle, as you're just passing through. You're a pilgrim. You're just passing through this life. Please don't be rooted here. <laughs> your, your rootedness and your, you must be grounded in the love of God, yes. But, but God is preparing a place for us. And he's inviting us to be part of that. He's inviting you and me to say yes to, to become those people that are commissioned. And so the second bit of the definition, what does it mean to be commissioned? Scripturally, it means to be authorized by someone with authority, to be appointed. Somebody has charged you, to empower you, to dispatch you, and to entrust you with a mission. Isn't it amazing that God has got no plan B, the church is his plan A? So I want you to take your finger. Will you do that? Just take your finger like this and point it like this. Okay? No accusation in the place. Just like say, God is going to answer to reach this world. And I'm pointing at it. And then you take that same finger and point it at your friend and just say like, you're included. Okay? And so that... To be commissioned, and so uh, what is the mission of Jesus, we may ask, is, and Jesus told us clearly in Luke 4 verse 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he quoted out of Isaiah, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me, very strong words, the, the verbs, he has sent me, I'm, I'm on a mission here, to heal the brokenhearted, to do what? To proclaim liberty, to, to tell people. Liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It's the people that have been sent. Jesus have been sent on a mission and to proclaim certain things. I think, and um, if, you want, if you really want to, to know, I remember being in the nation of Iran and maybe just a part of my testimony. I used to stutter when I was at school. So I couldn't speak properly. And then in grade nine, I committed my life to Christ, supernaturally, just through somebody that really lived the life and followed God. And on the 4th of April, 1989, I walked into his room and I said, Mr. Smith, the Jesus that you follow and the Jesus that I follow is not the same. I want to know that Jesus, the real one. And I went on my knees, committed my life to Christ. And two weeks later, the Lord healed me of stuttering. The root of the stuttering was the deep root of rejection. And uh, God just set me free. And he said two things. He said, one day you're going to talk in front of people. And the second day, and the second thing is you're going to go to other nations. So I was thinking like, hey, it was just grade nine. I thought like, hey, well, that's maybe. But the crazy part is if you don't believe in miracles, the fact that I can talk in front of you is already a miracle. Okay. And the second thing is I've been to 60 nations. Just seeing what Jesus has done. Just realizing, wow, this is the greatest adventure if I wanted just live with him and say yes to his call on our lives. And so I remember being in Iran, and um, it was a couple of years ago, about eight years ago. And uh, <clears throat> the Lord said to us, today you're not going to pray with your words, you're going to pray with your tears. And uh, there was a lady there, it took her, she was fasting for 21 days just on water. Because there if you get baptized, it's the, you're signing your death certificate. And so um, after 21 days, we did baptize, and it was one of the most glorious moments. We were about 40 people just in that one little bathroom, you know, and just shouting. But we knew that that was a death certificate that she was signing. 
Because there you don't just... You don't just become a Christian. Even if you want to join the church, they will look at your life for a year whether you are worthy to be part of the church. And you're not infiltrating the, the church, maybe secretly. And so I remember talking to this one pastor, mostly ladies. Um, and um, she, their, their previous pastor got uh, jailed. And uh, there, there is you, a pastor normally lasts for about nine months then you're either jailed or you lose your life. So you're literally signed up to say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for the cause of Christ, you know. And uh, I remember talking to this lady, and she, I said to her, like, hey, you know, are you not afraid, you know, of what's going to happen to your life and your pastor that is in jail is going to get killed, most probably. And she looked at me, and she frowned, and she says, like, no, do you know what? Um, I think it's actually good for him that he's in jail because he started to preach a watered-down gospel. So God needs to refine him a little bit. I just took two steps back. I thought like, I'm not going to let this lady pray for me. <laughs> but the crazy part is like, what is the gospel costing us? What is your life? Is it, is it worth living? Because there's a, there's a whole part, probably 60% of the church that are laying down their lives in the Middle East and all across. Even while we are here this morning, about 40 Christians would lay down their life for Jesus physically. So sometimes I think we need to realize in the ways that we're in trouble. We're in trouble because the church loses our saltiness. We just, we just go with the flow. And then sometimes what we do, and I'm speaking more about churches like ours, is sometimes we try to attract the world with worldly things. If we have better coffee, if we have better entertainment, if we have better stuff. But we're never going to reach this world in this generation that is the most depressed, most lonely, most entitled generation ever. Every night I just, drew, just drove through the town here and I saw thousands of students in Golden Week. Every night just drinking themselves. But it's just, they just need the love of Jesus. And if that's, that doesn't stir us, then there's something wrong in our hearts. Then we've become complacent and comfortable. And the biggest sin in the church in the West is unbelief and comfort zones. We love to be comfortable. So that's why sometimes I go to mountains like that. I didn't have a toilet for four weeks before that, you know. It's not a physical toilet. So everything was stripped. But, you know, it's so amazing that we can live with stuff that we actually don't need. <laughs> That Jesus is really enough? Can somebody say amen? <laughs> Thank you for your enthusiasm. I'm, I'm going I'm to go for it now. So Jesus said like, hey, two scriptures we quote a lot. On the left-hand side, Matthew 16, 24, that Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, any one of us, would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In essence, the cross does not represent the breakthrough, it represents suffering. In essence, Christianity is about denying yourself for a greater cause. If you and I become the center of our Christianity, we'll go to heaven, but we'll never taste of the kingdom. And that's God's invitation. He says, you have to, the biggest problem is you, me, that finger that we pointed, like, hey, see us, you're the problem. It's myself, myself. Survival instincts, myself, 
keeping things for myself and thinking like, hey, if I can just have this, God, if you just bless me, then it's not the presence of God or the kingdom of God. And the invitation is like, don't be fooled. <laughs> don't be lied to. I'm going to tell you a bit of a testimony that's a bit of a scary one. It's very, you may not think it's spiritual, but it's very spiritual. So we were driving up, and five of us, I don't think, Levan, you went in the car there, but, but five of us were in this one car, and we drove past this temple, a huge temple next to the road, and they're building all that stuff up into the mountains. And the next moment, all of us in the car at the same time fell asleep. Supernaturally, it's not natural. Because we were quite chirpy and quite like going for it. We were supposed to drive to the left and then the car would have rolled down the mountain. But supernaturally, God protected us and when we went to the right side, because the natural slope was to the left, the car actually went over the road to the right side and we fell into the ditch on that side. Nothing happened. I just got the car back again, all that stuff. And it was such a wake-up call to me. How many times do we just fall asleep? We just go into a slumber mode or survival mode. And God has never called the church for that place. He says like, hey, there's a a spiritual war going on. Paul says that, hey, our battle is not against flesh and blood. But every day when you walk out your front door, there's a battle for your mind. There's a battle for your life. But more than that, there's a battle for the people around you. It's a battle for truth of life. And is God good? Or is he not? So Jesus said in Matthew 4 verse 19, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. The call for every Christian and every disciple wasn't like, Come, I'm going to make you a good Christian, and maybe then what? He says, no, no. Come, what's the first thing? Follow me. Doesn't that like entail that this movement that Jesus is always walking? <laughs> the making only happens... After the following. So sometimes what we do is we believe the lie that says like, hey, first be this great Christian and know all your stuff together and then start following Jesus. He says, come follow me and as you follow me, I'm going to make you. The process comes through obedience. The process comes through following him and that's, that is so amazing. Yeah, it's, You don't need to make yourself. You don't need to be perfect. You don't even need to know all the answers. Just love Jesus and follow him. Amen? Can I get an amen from this side? Okay, are you, are you guys right? Okay, yeah. thank you, ladies. There's some ladies that are smiling. So come follow me. And um, this, this morning, I really want to encourage us and motivate us and just say like, hey, don't fall asleep on the job. <laughs> God is doing amazing stuff, especially in the Middle East. He's waking up the church and especially young people. Some Middle Eastern countries now, they are, they are, they're filling up stadiums with teenagers under the banner of soccer and praying Five days in a row for revival in the Middle East. But it's a church that's awake by the church that knows the cost to follow Jesus. It's not an easy gospel. Because the world is going this way and Jesus is going this way. And so the invitation is a, a holy life. And one of my favorite passages I want to read it to us is in Philippians 2 verse 5. It sort of uh, talks about the gospel and uh, the story of this Jesus that we are following. He says in verse 5, For let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a bondservant, and was made in the likeness of men. 
Verse 8, and being found in likeness of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We live for his glory. We live to make him famous. And so, so a lot of times in my life I was praying like, Lord, if you do this in my life, then I will do that. God is not a transactional God. If we live for His glory, there's an invitation to taste of that and never be conned, never be lied to about like, yeah, let me just survive through this life. And then maybe one day there's going to be a line and then I'm here and I'm going to just crawl. And if I can just make it over this line, then I'm going to go, oh, oh. Thank you, I made it into heaven. Oh, the feet is not over yet. Let me go. (laughs) And then you just lie there and Jesus comes to pat you on the back and says, well done. My good and faithful crawler. Yeah? Now my whole face is raging. (laughs) But, uh, But that's sort of the image I had of Christianity. And the Bible says that Jesus is coming to a bride that is pure and spotless. A bride that has made herself ready for him. A bride whose life is devoted to him. Because there's a greater cause why we live. There's a greater way. There's, there's only one that can satisfy us. And that's him. To live for him. To live for, for his name and for what he died for. Because he's the only one that can fulfill you. In your deepest need, in your deepest place. And so Christianity isn't just about survival. It's not just making it to the next Sunday. It's when the Holy Spirit empowers you and He begins to show you why you've been made and what, what is that call on your life. And then for you, for you guys as a church, why are you here? Why is one hope here? There's a redemptive purpose for this church. It's not just to have a great community. You have a great community. But what is this? Is this community missional? Why do we do offer courses? Why do, you, why do you guys do that? It's because we want to reach others that will have an opportunity to taste of God's goodness. And then they'll come to repentance. So even if you're not there, just pray for it. Just say, Father, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even 100% sure, but I want to be part of a missional community. People that have said yes to the call of God. Paul says, I've, I've, I forget the things that lie behind and I stretch myself out to the upward call of Christ. In my life. In Hebrews it says, after the great men of faith, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and it says, Therefore lay aside every weight, every sin that so easily ensnare us, and run the race, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him despised the shame and went to sit at the right hand of the Father. Looking unto Jesus. You're running a race. You're not just crawling. You know, just making it through this life. And I, I want to really not, this is not an accusational or condemning thing. It's an invitation to the heart of the Father. So I'm very honest. I, I don't like India. I don't like the food. But I say yes to the call of God. So I've been there 25 times. Probably even more. Is it comfortable? Not at all. Is it nice to leave your family? No, not at all. I don't like lentils and I don't like rice. 
I like meat. The Lord speaks. You know, he brought bread and meat to, to Elijah at the brook, you know, when he provided for him. There was, there was, sorry, if there's any plant-based people here. I wanted to say it nicely. But so, but the crazy part is I just grew up on a meat farm. So I just, that, like, we ate meat when we woke up, you know. I had a stick of biltong when I was two months old, you know, just like. <laughs> there you go, you know. But the crazy part is what, what, whatever part you want to play, you just put your hands on the plow. Jesus said some tough stuff. He says, if you put your hands on the plow and you look back, you're not worthy to be called my disciple. Those are tough things he said. Jesus said hard things. But he will never tell you something that he will not give grace for you to do. That he will not invite you to. And says, it's, you're not doing it for me, you're doing it with me. And so, so this morning, the, the challenge, but the invitation is like, what is that comfortable thing that you're holding on to? What is sometimes that need that you're holding on? God, just give me a husband and then I'll start following you. Uh-uh. Give him everything. God, just give me a breakthrough and then I'll start following you. Just do the... No, no. Jesus, I want to follow you because you're worthy. And whether I follow you up there in the mountains or whether I follow you right here in the school where I'm a teacher, I need to make a stand and a spiritual stand. It's a wake up to the call of God on our lives. It's an urgency. We've lost our urgency. We've lost our intentionality. To say, Father, there's a town out here that needs the gospel. We assume everybody knows the gospel. There are very few people in this town that knows the gospel and lives the gospel. There's a lot of Christian activity. But there's no presence and power of God. So whether you're joining the Red Frogs on a Friday night, make pancakes and just go and love people, or however you want to get involved, just put your hands on the plow. It means like plowing is laboring. <laughs> it's a hard work. I come from a farm, you know. <laughs> plowing isn't easy. But what happens when you look back, you start to plow skew. You start to miss what God is for you. And so that picture, that little video, it's so crazy, you know, and it's, it's sort of a spiritual thing I want to leave with us. So at this stage, when we're really going up there in the mountain, the problem is you can't breathe properly, so you're 4,000 meters above. So you, you literally have to, you get a bit dizzy. And so I thought, like, these young guys, they were all first year, second year, and third year. So I thought, like, how am I going to get them through this thing, you know? <laughs> because there's two spaces where I've never walked there, but the half of the one village said, yes, go. And the other half, the younger guys, they all said, yeah, yeah, go for it, you know? The older people said, no, 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 dangerous, you know? And we only afterwards heard that a, that a lady fell, a, a, a local lady fell from the died just two months ago and and literally many times people die there um but so now we're walking and i'm thinking like what's going to be the strategy to get them through this area because there's two hot spots very intense that one that you saw us coming down that was like one part we had to go over but you walk like here and there's like 800 meters down there so so i'm thinking like yo so i said to this pastor you need to be the encourager here you need to encourage these guys so he just said this Guys, you can make it. Your Lord Jesus has made all of this. You know, you heard him. You know, that was his encouragement all the way. You know, I went a bit like straight to the point. I said, guys, there's a couple of things you're not allowed to do. The first thing is you're not allowed to talk. 
You don't talk. Secondly, don't look at the view. Thirdly, don't run and don't jump. One foot at a time, one step at a time. That's the rules for us to get through here. But I had to speak in command form. <laughs> because it's a very bunch of young, passionate guys, and some of them still have fleas and ticks. We fumigated the one sitting in front here this week. But don't greet him. I don't know if all the ticks are, are dead. His name is Levan. But um, <laughs> so just ask around with this group of people here, you know. Um, <clears throat> but the crazy part is like, Something stuck with me because I realized, like, Jesus, why would you so many times speak in command form? Not suggestion, not open to your or my interpretation. Because he wants to get you through, and it's a narrow path you many times have to walk on. If you're going to look at the view and what everybody else's opinion is, you're going to fall from these high places. But the adventure, you could see that Kruger guy... He's still in matric at school. How he clung to the rock. He says, oh, it's so nice, you know. <laughs> Just something on for his life, you know. But I, I, I want you to, I want to leave you with that picture of being here in the mountain. And then sometimes Jesus just says, like, focus. It's not about the view. It's not about the danger. It's about, hey, I'll direct the steps of the righteous. But we're going somewhere. You can't stop there. You can't have a picnic there. You have to pass through. And then when you get through and you get to the other village and you start to pray there, then just this reward of like, wow, we've been there. We've, we've gone with, with what Christ told us to do. There's something that just, that taste of that partaking of God's divine nature. And, and you have to go there. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you something. It's going to be a high altitude sometimes. Sometimes it's going to be tough on your legs. Sometimes you're going to feel wobbly. You're going to almost feel like you lose a bit of consciousness. But you have to like say, Lord, we're going through because you, you want us to get there. And so, so this morning I want to end off with praying for us. And, and just, just allowing some of us to respond because... And I especially want to talk to the older men as well, yeah, a bit. Jason, you can come up. I, I hope you're still awake. He woke up at 4 o'clock and drove from a, a worship leader's thing they had this weekend. But um, I especially want to talk to the older men and challenge us as well. Because we sometimes are when we Christians, you know. When I was young, you know, I also climbed the mountains. I also went to the youth camps. But now we get distracted. And we make so many excuses, even in our work, to become passive Christians. We stop praying. And your prayer life for me is an indicate, indicator, a barometer of your spirituality before God. If you're not a praying Christian, you're in trouble. The devil is going to wash over you. The world is going to wash over the church. And I'm not saying this to threaten us, but the West is under great, the church in the West is under great, great pressure. And the next five years, if we don't wake up, we're going to fall asleep in the car and don't realize there's a community that's drifting away. South Africa's, we used to be Christian. <laughs> but the young people now, I still have a small group here in Paul Ruiz with grade 11s and 12s. And the stuff they tell me, of what's happening in our schools every day. The pressure they're under is tremendous. 
in a school like this. I know the principal. I was actually got saved with this principal of this school. He's a good friend of mine. The pressure the young people are standing up against today, just with cell phones and things like that, some of you that are sitting here, is huge. It's the most lonely generation ever. The most depressed generation ever. And Jesus is the answer. But what are you going to do about it? And what am I going to do about it? And it's an invitation to God. It says, come be the church. Come be missional. Live with an intentionality. Live with the urgency in your heart. Don't just pass through. Don't just crawl over the line one day. It's not just about reaching heaven. It's about becoming the bride of Christ and making ourselves ready. Last story. Can I tell you one more story? Just raise your hand if I can tell you a story. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, okay, we're going to be here till three o'clock, you know? I, because of working with students, I've almost done 400 weddings since 2001. Almost 400. Now you know what my hobby is over weekends, you know? But it's always amazing when people get married. Now I'm going to get all the young ladies' attention and all the guys are going to get a bit like tense, you know? But very few of those marriages actually ended in divorce of those 400 that I know of. But there's one specific one that two years after that wedding, I heard the sad news that moved to Johannesburg that this, this marriage broke up. And you know, I knew it the moment when the bride was walking down the aisle. Something gripped my heart and I felt like so uncomfortable. I actually did the wedding for somebody else to help them because they couldn't make it. The guy got a bit sick, so I didn't know the couple that well. And normally we'll, like you, your church, we do a great marriage prep and all that stuff to prepare people. But I remember this is what happened there. And I'm going to throw the cameraman out a bit here, you know. So the bride came down the aisle. The bridegroom was standing in front. And as she walked down with her father, she was like, Hello. High five. Thank you, good out five, five then. Hi, how are you? And she was like, she was just like greeting the people and like enjoying the moment, drawing all of the attention onto herself. And not once did she look to the bridegroom. When she finally got in front, that was the first time. And I said, there's trouble here. She was so familiar because they were most probably sexually impure before the marriage with each other. But something gripped my heart and I realized like, how many times is the church of Jesus always just exactly the same? We're more listening to what the world is saying, greeting the people, loving the fellowship. But the bride is making herself ready, pure, spotless, an overcoming bride. And God is moving. He's not moving in the West. It's moving in the Middle East and the East. Millions of people just saying, we don't want the things of the world anymore. We're putting our hands to the plow. So will you stand with me this morning as we're going to end off in a song. And I want to, maybe you are here today and you, you don't know Jesus, then what a great place. Maybe a friend invited you and you feel a bit bad about the golden week or whatever and you've messed up. Then Jesus is going to wash you clean. 
but you have to repent. <laughs> because we'll never know the power of God if we live like the world. And I'm not saying like be holy and, you know, wear a white robe and sprinkle water on yourself all day long and speak in old King James format, format. You know, the Lord henceforth has cometh thy forth for the end of the world, this, you know, and we are purifying ourselves unto the earth, you know. It's not what God is saying. He's just saying like, are you willing to say yes to the call of God on your life? Or are you trading it for the opinion of others? And so, so I just felt in my heart, and thank you for giving me the permission, but if you are here today and you know in your heart that you're actually maybe a bit backslidden, you've become a professional Christian, you know? We all do that. We all do all the right stuff, lift our hands at the right time, or we go through the motions. But we're not looking into the eyes of the bridegroom, the man who has fire in his eyes. Every person you meet in Iran that's become a Christian will tell you about a vision or a dream or a personal visitation of Jesus. And everyone, not one of them will talk about his hands, his feet, his garments. They will all talk about the fire in his eyes. Have you met the man of Galilee that has fire in his eyes? Have you met the one who died for you? And he's worthy of your life. And he wants to be Lord of your life. Not because he's lording it over you. But he says, I'm the only one that can fulfill you. Because I'm the only one that's not going to take from you. The world is going to take from you. But I'm going to give. Because nothing you do can add to me. But are you willing to go on that holy ground where it's just you and him? Say, Lord, let that fire burn through my soul. Let it show me why I'm here. And not listen to the lies or look to the views or be so just almost losing, intoxicated by the voices of the world. And that's why sometimes you have to just be quiet. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. And I want to make a call for us that maybe this morning you need to respond and say, Lord, I, w- I want to just make you Lord of my life again. And I'm going to make it tough on you a bit. Eh? I want you to come to the front as we're going to sing this song. It's between you and him. There are facilitators and people that will pray for you. But sometimes we just have to make a stand. Prophetically, I'm coming out from where I am, from my comfort, and I'm saying yes to Jesus. And maybe today is the first time in your life that you've ever done it publicly. Maybe you're a small group leader or a pastor or a zone leader, but you've lost your first love. Then Jesus says, come. One moment, I'll make all things new. One moment, I'll touch you. One moment, I'll wash you clean. I'll renew that first love. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing. And if you want to come to the front, or if you just want to sit and worship Him, but I, I want to challenge you to come to the front, if that's you. And if there's just one person, I, then God will touch you. Then let today be the first step to be obedient, to live to Him. So Father, I want to thank you for all these amazing people. I want to thank you, Father, that you have a divine appointment with everyone in this room today to take one step further. Father, I pray for those who feel heavy laden, who've messed up, who've made mistakes. People, Lord, that have lost focus, Lord. People that don't know your love. They've never heard, maybe even. But I pray for a drawing unto you, Father. I pray, Father, that they'll say yes to the call of Christ, the upward call. Say yes, Lord, to the hope of glory, Lord, the, the 
place that you call us to, to be followers of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing church. Thank you, Father, that there's so many opportunities here to just follow you. Father, I pray, Lord, for those who feel lonely. I pray, Father, for those who are struggling with depression. I pray, Father, heaviness, that it will go. Lord, there's some people here this morning that struggle with sleeplessness, insomnia, Lord. And Lord, the world has sort of just just come, Lord, and overtaken us, Lord. The fear is in our hearts. But Father, set us free as your people. And I thank you this morning for your invitation.